Good morning, everyone. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here at Legacy. Whether you're joining us on a screen or right here in the sanctuary, so glad you decided to spend just a little bit of your Martin Luther King Jr. Day weekend here with us. We are in week two of a series called Deconstruct. Deconstruct is a word in vogue in some circles, and by definition, it means simply this, to take apart or examine something. That's all it means to deconstruct. When it comes to faith, there are absolutely times we need to take apart and evaluate something we believe. Deconstruction does not always mean destruction. It doesn't mean just because we ask one question, our faith is going to become entirely unraveled. No, we ask questions, we face head-on tough questions in faith, and we grow as we believe and think and read and study and reevaluate. We compared our faith to a Jenga set with uh, the framework being Jesus around it. When we evaluate something, we take out a belief, we look at it, examine it, study and pray about it, and at the end, that belief might go into a new spot. We might have changed what we thought about that topic. Other times, we may take out a belief and we examine it, we think about it, we study it, we pray and talk to others, and when we're done, that belief might go back right into the same spot. Just because we deconstruct something doesn't mean that we're going to change what we think about it. We might, but we might not. We want a deep faith. We want a mature faith, an examined faith, one that helps us experience the full and abundant life that Jesus has for each and every one of us. Deconstruction is akin to remodeling our home, not leveling it and starting over. Years ago, I enjoyed watching the show Extreme Makeover Home Edition. This is the one you might remember that at the end of every episode, they parked a bus in front of the house, and they yell at the end, move that bus! It was exciting. It was fun to watch the families see this new home. But what was interesting, as the series progressed, they stopped doing remodels, and they found reasons every single time just to demolish the house and start over again. And while that was fun for family reveals, it really lacks creativity. Instead of using what was already there and trying to add on it and make it better, they just leveled it and started over entirely. In our faith, as we deconstruct things we believe, we don't level our faith. It gets remodeled. It gets changed, but it's still there. As we ask questions, as we doubt, as we explore, God meets us in the questioning. God meets us in the asking. We're reminded as such from the Lord in Jeremiah If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. If you look for me wholeheartedly, says God, you are going to find me. We find and walk with God as we explore, as we question, and as we doubt. Now today, we're going to jump into a question that you've maybe asked, you've heard other people ask in person, on social media, what is wrong with the church? Now we can make our own list of struggles in the church, Broad Sea and our own little sea church here. Nationwide, post-pandemic worship attendance is down 40 to 60% of what it was before the pandemic. We at Legacy are no different here. We see less people on a Sunday morning than we did in 2019. We are United Methodists, and we often reflect broader U.S. trends. We're having heated debates, and churches are leaving over differing views of human sexuality, among other things. Tumultuous denominational times. There's a drop in giving. We have less resources here at Legacy than we did a few years ago. We're not immune to broader economic trends like inflation. I mean, we've all been to the grocery store. Our dollar does not go nearly as far. And in our own families with our own people, we can have breakdowns in relationships. 
Somebody says something, probably foolishly, in the heat of a moment, and they regret it, and now you haven't seen that family member in decades because of one offhand, poor-timed, and poor-spoken remark. So we've not been around to help out this person. We have no idea what's going on in their life because we decided to say something off the cuff one time, and it could not be forgiven. Now, not only that, every few years ago, when we, they ask non-religious people, every few years a survey comes out, they're asking non-religious people and the people that have gone to church that don't anymore, uh, they ask them a series of questions. And inevitably, every single time the survey is done over the last few decades, this is what comes back. These non-religious and people that previously have gone to church say they love Jesus. The non-religious, the previously church, they love Jesus, but not the church. They love Jesus' style and his care, his love and his grace for others, but they don't see these qualities in the church nearly in the amounts they believe they should. Now, now some on these surveys might have an incomplete view of Jesus, but those who've been part of the church and left have done so because the church has done such a poor job, such a poor job of living out Jesus' call to love God fully and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Some leave church today because Jesus is simply not lived out in the lives of the people who say they follow him. What is wrong with the church? There is a one-word answer. People. People are what's wrong with the church. What is wrong with the church, friends, is you and me. Who among us has not had a less than pleasant encounter with a church person? And that is the kindest way I can put that question. What, you've run into the, maybe the church hypocrite who seems holier than thou, challenging everyone at church to reach this level, but then in the world you see them acting just like everybody else. You've run into the church gossip, you told them something in confidence, and now it seems like everybody on the planet knows your news. You've ran into the fire and brimstone gal who says you must follow Jesus today or you're in danger of the fiery torment of hell. Turn and burn is this person's only message. There is the one issue church person. It does not matter what you talk about on whatever topic, they always, every single time, bring it back to that one issue that they are stuck on. There is the networker church person who is simply at church just to grow their business. And we could go on. And we could go on with all these kind of church people we've encountered. Now, if you've never had a less than perfect encounter with a church person, if they've all been great, kudos to you, way to go. That's amazing. On the flip side, if you can't think of a negative church encounter you've had, you might need to pause, you might need to reflect today, because you might just be one of those people I just listed there. So what do we do? What do we do when people fail us? What do we do, what do they do, we do? Because we're all gonna fail at some point. When our faith seems to fall apart, when asking questions and doubts and deconstruction turns to destruction, when someone walks away from Christianity, remember this. People don't walk away from Jesus. People walk away from people. People don't walk away from Jesus. People walk away from people. Adam's a fellow clergy colleague down in Sioux Falls. Very rarely do people walk away from Jesus. Remember, all those surveys they ask all the time, people love Jesus. Most of the time, people walk away from a church or the church because they fail so spectacularly at reflecting Jesus and living out Jesus in their lives. People walk away from us, not Jesus. 
Not only is deconstruction, evaluating what we believe, that's not new. That is not new at all, nor is the problem with people new. We need Jesus. We need the Holy Spirit if we're going to grow into the people that truly reflect Christ's love and hope to the world. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 23 today. If you want to follow along in your own Bible, on your favorite device, or on the screen with me. Now, Jesus, in this chapter, gives some very harsh words. And if you are a fire and brimstone kind of person, this passage gets you excited. Yes, finally, Jesus is letting all those non-religious people have it, how they're ignoring his ways to live in the world. Yes, he is bringing the heat to those who really finally need it. Yes, Jesus is, but Jesus is not talking to the non-religious in this passage. Jesus is talking to the disciples in the crowd about the religious leaders. He is talking about the religious of his day who should know better. He is heavily criticizing the religious leaders and the Pharisees. That would be us. Today, he would be heavily criticizing you and me. When we read Jesus' encounters in the Gospels, the four books about him that we've got, Jesus always saves his harshest condemnation for the religious. He is incredibly gracious and merciful to those who are missing the mark. The aphorism, the saying that Jesus comforts the afflicted and afflicts the comfortable, that is absolutely true. Jesus comforts the afflicted and afflicts the comfortable. You and me, the religious, Jesus would be incredibly forthright, direct with us where we're failing because we should know better. Because we should know better. He would have words of comfort and hope and change for those outside of the faith. We're going to start right in verse 1 of Matthew 23. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example, for they don't practice what they teach. Jesus starts right in with a hypocrite kind of church person. He starts making his own list of the ways people fall short. They teach good things, but they don't actually live it out. They don't actually show you what it looks like to put this belief into practice. Now, Jesus is just getting warmed up because he lets the religious leaders have the full force of his critique in this entire chapter. Now, why? Why was Jesus so angry with the these leaders and the Pharisees? Now, on the top level, when you're a leader, you are responsible. You're responsible for the whole. You're responsible for setting the pace, the example for whatever group, organization, or business that you lead. The anxiety or the non-anxious presence that you project is going to be seen throughout the whole organization or business. Leadership carries with it a not insignificant weight of responsibilities and consequences. I think Jesus saved some of the harshest words for the Pharisees because he was most like that group. Of all the various Jewish groups of that day, the practices he kept and the things Jesus taught were most like the Pharisees. Of all of the people, of all the groups that should have gotten it, it was them. They should not only seen who Jesus was and is, but been able to share a faith that in God that helped people, that brought hope and comfort that didn't pile on without having a way to ease a burden. Jesus very likely shared the most in common with the Pharisees and therefore expected the most from them. Let's continue with verse 4. 
Now remember, he is not talking about the non-religious. He is talking about the religious, you and I, who should know so much better. Jesus said, everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra pride wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside, and they wear robes with extra long tassels. It was a common practice in Jesus' day, before it, and even still today in some groups, where folks would put little boxes of, with scripture in them, put them on an armband, and wear them on their wrist, their shoulder, or even on their forehead as a headband. It was a literal take of a passage we've got that says, to bind the scripture into your heart and into your mind. Now here, Jesus knows the leaders take this passage to draw attention to themselves. They're not just wearing a little prayer box. They find the biggest prayer box they can and strap it to their head so people see how religious they are. Or they wear these huge tassels to show people that they're really religious. Not something modest, but these huge religious tassels drawing attention to them so people say when they're walking down the street, man, look how religious they are. Look at the size of those tassels and that prayer box. They don't do it instead of showing how faithful they are through acts of compassion and love and kindness. They're doing it for what, for what they're wearing. It's just all for show. It is all for show. Jesus said they love to sit at the head table at banquets and at the seats of honor in the synagogue. They love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplace and to be called rabbi. Don't let anyone call you rabbi if we have only one teacher. And all of you are equal as brothers and sisters. Don't address anyone here on earth as father, for only God in heaven is your father. Don't let anyone call you teacher, for you only have one teacher, the Messiah. The greatest among you must be a servant, but those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, in some of Jesus' harshest words to the religious leaders, we can find some hope. We find some hope in dealing with the problem of us, the problem of people. In verse 10, we're reminded to follow Jesus and not people. So first, follow Jesus, not people. We have one teacher, the Messiah. Let's follow him. We lift up people. We put people we love and adore on a pedestal. We put people in a role, and we put pastors in a place they were never meant to be. Then when people inevitably let us down and fail us, we walk away from Jesus. Friends, it wasn't Jesus who failed us, it was people. We don't do this in any part of our lives. If we have an experience with a doctor that is poor, we don't give up on medicine forever. We find a doctor who's a better fit for us. If we see a study or a theory that's way off base from a scientist and no other study or scientist confirms it, we don't give up on science altogether. When we have a teacher we don't connect with, we have a teacher we just don't mesh with, we don't give up learning. We don't give up reading for the rest of our lives. No, we chalk it up to different personalities, different styles, and we stick with education. When people in our lives we admire let us down, and they absolutely will, what do we do? When church leaders and Jesus followers we adore let us down, we have a choice. We can destroy their relationship with Jesus, we can close up, deconstruct, and destroy our faith, or we deconstruct to reconstruct to love, to forgive, and to learn. Depending on the failure, that relationship might never be restored, but we can still love, forgive, and learn for our own benefit and for the health of our own faith and lives. We, fo excuse me, we follow Jesus, not people, as flawed and as human as we all are. 
May we make the choice to deconstruct, to not destroy, but deconstruct to reconstruct our faith on love and forgiveness. Now, in the final few verses we looked at, Jesus really gets in the leaders' faces for drawing attention to themselves, wearing these gaudy religious items, and even praying out loud on street corners for all to hear. In another part of Matthew, Jesus references this, and he says to not pray like those religious leaders who just stand on a street corner to get attention. He says, instead, you should pray in the silence in your home and pray this. And that's when Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer. In order to keep ourselves away from religion purely as show, so other people are going to think more highly of us, we need to stay humble. That's verse 11 and 12. Clearly tell us humility is the goal. Our goal should be to outserve each other, not to pray out loud in public to draw attention to ourselves or to wear the most outwardly, outwardly religious clothes like a neon sign above our head that says, I follow Jesus better than you do. As we evaluate various parts of our lives, of our faith, as we deconstruct, staying humble is necessary. We take our questions, our doubts to the Bible, and we learn, we listen from others, even from those we don't agree with. It is so incredibly helpful and good for you to read a different perspective on whatever topic or belief you got a question about. It is so helpful to read a different perspective because it forces you to think through your beliefs and to see the world from someone else's shoes, to see them from another pair of lenses. Now, just because we read a different perspective doesn't mean we're going to take their view. We might, but it will certainly increase our empathy. It's certainly going to increase our compassion for others so we can see folks from the other side and see the very real people behind the hot button issue or the topic that we are discussing or deconstructing. Stay humble. Don't pedestal yourself or another scholar, author, theologian, or pastor. None of us, not a single one of us are meant to be lifted high. That's a job only for Jesus. I regularly listen to a wide range of voices. Some of them I agree with their theology on most points. Others, not so much. It is both, both challenges and sharpens what I think on a various topic. It is a healthy thing. It is a good thing to learn, to read, to listen outside of our own echo chambers. Ask people what you respect, what they listen to. Ask people what you respect, what they listen to, and I would bet money if I wasn't a Methodist. I would bet money that they listen to voices outside of what they believe. That helps us, helps us not to pedestal ourselves and keeps us humble. As you form beliefs and opinions, be sure. Be sure that foundation is set in scripture and then review the choices of voices of church history, of reason and experience. That way you're not gonna be making up a belief or opinion on your own, but on the very word of God that has carried the church through the ages, through other followers of Jesus and the collective wisdom of the church. So as we deal with the problem of people, the problem of us, follow Jesus. Follow Jesus not people. Stay humble and pray for the Holy Spirit to help. Now, one of the greatest days in life of the church, it was Pentecost. It was the day the Holy Spirit came. It's recorded in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit, while previously just on people for a limited time for an assignment, is now unleashed in the world, in those following Jesus, and the world is never the same. The same Spirit is with us today as we pray for patience, for peace, for guidance, and for a heart for others. 
even during our times that we're deconstructing a belief or reconsidering an issue. The Spirit is ready and is willing to walk with us every day, even just as we do our best to point people to Jesus, even though we know there are times that we are going to fail, that we are going to fall short, we are going to disappoint others. We can lead people through Christ just by the way we act, going to the grocery store, at school, at work, running errands. We can point people to Jesus just how we encounter them every day. And likewise, we can push people away. We can push people away from Christ by the way we lack compassion and mercy and kindness. A story is told from the spring of 1924. Jack Sundine was a four-year-old kid. He was standing in line with his father in the White House, and he was going to get to meet President Calvin Coolidge. He was so excited. As they neared him, Jack was watching everybody down the line, and Jack noticed that the president said something to each visitor as they shook hands. Well, Jack thought, what's he going to say to me? I bet it's going to be so important. I cannot wait to meet the president. So soon, this moment finally arrives. Jack puts his small little four-year-old hand into the president's. Then President Coolidge said, move along. Move along. Friends, people disappoint us. We disappoint ourselves. We can disappoint others. We can lead people to Christ or we can push them away by our words and actions. Otherwise, we always, we follow a Savior who never disappoints us. So friends, follow Jesus and not people. Jesus is here right now with us, and he's now ready to meet us through Holy Communion. So let's prepare ourselves through prayer. You're invited to bow with me as we pray and prepare to receive. Lord Jesus, we know the problem with the church is us, the people that make it up. We fall short so many times, yet you still somehow work through our missteps, our stumbles to still draw people to you. So help us through the Holy Spirit, through our imperfections, to draw people to you, through all our words and actions and thoughts. As we prepare to receive Holy Communion today, we confess that there were times this week that we fell short. We did not love you with our whole hearts, and we did not love our neighbor as ourselves. So as moments from this last week come to our mind where we fell short, we made mistakes, we sinned. God, we confess those moments to you now in this moment of silent prayer. God, we give you thanks that you forgive us each and every time we ask. So may your Holy Spirit fill us so that all of our words and thoughts and deeds over this next week will help draw people to you and not away from you. We join together and pray in the way that Jesus taught his disciples to pray throughout the ages, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.